0: I don't think I can do the high
1: pitch part, or else I would have joined you.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It's, I, don't it's okay. Know. I got so, you know, I got so inspired by y'all's House of Dragons episode <laughs> that I, I wanted to recreate it. I wanted to, wanted to take my shot. Um, hi everybody! In case you haven't picked up on our s- subtle hint there. Um, we are, we, y'all. We are back at it again, at the Krispy Kreme that is Halloween. Yeah. Um. It's me. Uh, my name is Al. I'm hanging out with Josh once again. Josh, how are you tonight?
1: Dude, I'm doing so well. It, it, it's good to be back with my with my brother and horror. I don't know what that means, but you know, it seemed it seemed right. It means it
0: means whatever. It means whatever we need that to mean because exactly. everybody. It is the return of Horror Fest,
1: the much Famous anticipated
0: Horror Fest.
1: This is it, baby. We're back. We're back, dude. We're we're back at it, man. We we are here, and we've got some bangers this time, dude. Oh, we are, <laughs> we
0: are in it for sure this year. We have some ones that like we've been planning to do for a while, but um um I think you referred to it best um a few weeks ago when you were just like you know we've Um, It's kind of been like a constant, like, slow drip feed of heavy hitters um, that we've done over the years. Right. Um, um, And we've got, but um, yeah, this year we're going at it. Uh, This year, for example, to kick us off, uh, we could think of no no more appropriate film to start us off on Horror Fest 2022 with a fandom correspondence to the original halloween uh we're going right back to where it all began right back to 1978 the original halloween uh for anybody who is unfamiliar with this show horror fest is something that josh and i um do every year this is our is this our third year now this is our
1: third year al isn't that crazy that's wild That is nuts, dude. I I remember when when this was like, you know, our brainchild, and we were kind of like thinking like, you know, hey, you know, Al, you're weird. You'll do psychology, and I'm weird. I do theology. Let's come together and do something weird for Halloween. And here we are three years later pulling that off. I mean, that's just a, you know, and by the way, when I say weird, I mean that in the best way. Weird is not a a derogatory term uh, coming from me, just so you know. That's
0: true. That's true. It's wild, you know, we... We had a dream. We had a thought. We had an inspiration to just be like, "Hey, let's talk about this this weird, grotesque stuff that we um sometimes enjoy um every <laughs> year around Halloween." Um, and let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about why we enjoy it and why we don't, and and the things it's done to us in our culture. Uh, and that's what we're here to do tonight, and. Um, as I said before, we're going back to where it all began. And I say that because Halloween um, is often considered to be um, the OG slasher film. Um, some have called it uh, the um, kind of the original kind of um, OG horror um, film in the modern age, some would say. Uh, there's been arguments that um and Halloween kind of acts as the dividing line between um, older classic horror and and um, modern horror. Um, I think we've come a long way since then, so like, you kind of have to start heading into a few more eras and divisions there. But um, as we're talking about tonight, Halloween is one of those really significant horror films that really changed things for a long time um, um, and we're still seeing its influences and it's um, its tropes and themes it's established even now today um, here in, in 2022 um Josh how open things up man um, just kind of tell me about your experience um, with Halloween um, tell me about uh, the times you watched it how you've felt about it over the years uh, just kind of give me the rundown your relationship with
1: this classic horror movie right um yeah so i saw let's see i can't i bet i was probably 13 or 14 the first time i saw halloween um edited uh probably on tbs or something like that it wasn't uh which i do think it's interesting well then if you take out the nudity of this movie this is a movie you probably could play um pretty pretty easily on cable i mean it's it's not there's One of the interesting things about this movie and one of the things that we're always uh, struck with and everyone likes to bring up is how this is considered one of the scariest movies of all time and one of the most horrifying movies of all time. And there's next to no gore. There's just I mean, there just isn't really. I mean there's like some like there's like some fake blood at the beginning, and like there's like some fake blood on Lori's arm at one point and some on, on Annie's uh throat uh, at, at a point but like other than that it's just not it's not a gory movie at all and yet i do remember being struck by just how effectively scary it was the first time i saw it um this is a movie that that uh the first time you see it um you, you know the first few times i saw it actually i didn't really appreciate it as anything more than a scary movie it's one of those movies that takes a few takes a few watches uh in similar ways that uh, we talked about this with the shining i think it takes a few watches to really appreciate what is actually happening what john carpenter's actually pulling off here um because he's really taking a lot of the scary movie tropes um from things like obviously psycho is the is the one link Pin everybody talks to but also consider like uh 1955's eye of the hunter as something he takes a lot from Where there's all these interesting foreground and background moments in that movie this movie has a lot of that a lot of foreground Mm -hmm. background moments there's a part when we were watching it a while ago i watched it with jake and there's there's a part where loomis goes to talk to the to the cop uh who's you know had the who's at the hardware store it's been broken into and like you know loomis is just standing there and there's like this really interesting you know like um focus on his face and over his right shoulder, you see the car that Michael's driving. And there's like, there's like, oh gosh, Al, probably like 30 shots like that in this movie probably. You know, <laughs> where you've just got like these moments of, you know, like, oh, he's behind you. Oh, gosh. You know, and, and it really is one of those stereotypical moments of like yelling at the screen, you know, because you're like, oh, you know, that, uh, there's so many of those moments of, oh, that's not your boyfriend <laughs> under the sheet or, you know. You know, I don't lock that door or don't unlock that door or, you know, don't go into the random, you know, laundry room that's 400 feet from the house for some reason, you know, or I don't, you know, just like all these moments because you're seeing things that the characters aren't seeing. And that weird, omnipotent viewpoint uh, is really what strikes me about this movie and one of the things that keeps me coming back to it. Because as I've, as I've gotten into... And I, I'm not—I I don't want to be that. Gosh, man! I, I, I think I do this every year. As I've gotten into cinema, uh, or as I, as I've become the you know someone who like takes it a little more seriously, this is the kind of movie that requires uh, extra views just to appreciate exactly what is happening in it. Um, and it, it's, it's that's why you come back to it. Uh, sure, it's a it's a great. It, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's a great popcorn flick. Uh, a great scary movie. Um, I can't imagine. I, I got I to be honest, Al. I wish I'd go back to 1978 and watch this thing in the drive in. I think that would be mm. something that uh, would just be an amazing experience um, to see this for the first time, you know, in that kind of setting. Um, but like this is, you know, this, this, after you get over that initial shock, you know, and and, and the scares and everything, it really is a superbly made movie. Um, and one of those movies that that you know, if if you're if you've got high-minded, you know, cinema-loving friends that don't like horror or, or think there's it doesn't add anything to the genre, this is one of them that you show them and be like, watch what's happening in this, you know, watch, w- w- watch, watch how they frame this thing, you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about like the the opening scene, all that stuff later. So I'll I'll let that, you know, and some of the better scenes, I'll let that uh, lay. But uh, but yeah, th- this is, this is a movie that um, really does um, enhance the 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 horror genre, uh, and and takes a takes it a step forward. I think, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why you called it. Uh, you said it was kind of like this kind of uh, you know linchpin moment. You know, there's before Halloween and after Halloween. I think one of the reasons is because of you know the the care that Carpenter put into this movie. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I have I have nothing but great experiences with this movie. Uh, but I'll, honestly, I'd like to flip the question on you, because I know you're a this is this is one of your favorites, right?
0: Um, It is. Yeah. Um, so Halloween. Halloween um, is not the first horror film I watched. Um, it isn't even the first slasher I watched. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the show before if i haven't then i know i've talked about it uh um in some of the articles i did um in years past back when horror fest was a uh, was entirely a a text based <laughs> a print based um event mm-hmm. uh, that i did but um again look at how far we've come but <laughs> um, <laughs> but um the very first horror film um i ever watched was actually um, a slasher film itself um, I watched um, um, I watched the original Child's Play with my mom, um, and my mom, I love my mom very much in a lot of ways. She is a walking contradiction in a lot of ways because I don't know if anybody at, is as religious as my mom is um, and very strict in um, her beliefs and her her religiously informed um lifestyle and behaviors but um she's a sucker for horror movies as well uh you we usually don't see the two of those uh i'm in the same person very often but um but um uh, while Halloween isn't the first horror film or slasher film i watched it was the first one i watched that made me realize um oh i'm I'm really into this genre. I'm really into horror. Um, I want to watch a lot more things that are s- s- similar to this because there's so much about this f- that I enjoy. So, um, I think the first time I watched Halloween, I, I want to say it was like gosh, it was either my first year of high school or the year before, or my eighth grade. <laughs> so I had, like, just become a teenager. Um, I was still kind of figuring out the things I was into. And, um, I watched Halloween, um, and I loved so much of what I saw. I liked how kind of, how kind of dark and dreary everything was from, like, the outset of the film. The colors that Carbender used were very understated. Everything looked very gray without feeling like it wasn't intentionally done that way. Um, It kind of strikes you like that. Um, I liked the feelings of dread that kind of came from Michael having been this almost um, omni-present threat throughout the entire film. uh, Because as you've said... He's in the background of a lot of shots. He's on the side of a lot of shots. He pops up all the time. Um, But, um, yeah, I was just really struck by a lot of the things that by the time I watched the film had had turned into tropes and cliches. But to me, we were extremely fresh and were extremely um, altering in the way I've thought about how to watch horror and how to be afraid and, and the things to kind of analyze and think about whenever um, I'm engaging with the genre, but um, but yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, and I do just want to address because I know there's a bunch of people out there who are about to um well, actually me on, on a bunch of things I've said. Um, I am aware the Halloween is technically not the first um, slasher horror film. Um, I'm aware that like, Texas Chainsaw had come out first. Um, I'm aware that um, um, P- 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 Hay of Blood had come out first, which is often hailed by, like, hipster horror fans as the OG's slasher film. Um, and obviously, de- obviously, S- P- Psycho's come out first, uh, which I kind of contest if that that's really a slasher film or not. I don't think that was really Hitchcock's intention with it. but um, But, for all intents and purposes, as we'll get into Um, On this episode, Halloween, probably more than anything that came before it or immediately after it, did more to establish what the slasher subgenre of horror is um, to this day. So that's kind of why I kind of um, yield to Halloween as being kind of the OG as far as the slasher films go
1: yeah i mean i i would uh i'd agree with that i mean i think um i think most people i mean i've heard psycho saying the uh, as the as the first slasher uh movie quite a bit and i i I do wonder just because like how much that is just basically because the killer uses a knife like i wonder how much that is i mean like because i mean the thing is like text chainsaw master like you call it the slasher flick i don't I, i my immediate thought is it's not a slasher flick, but but then again I'm thinking like, well it's because he has a chainsaw, not a knife. You know, I mean I don't, I don't know why that I don't know why that matters, but it does to me for some reason.
0: You know, that's true. that's true. I mean, heck, the first time he actually kills someone on screen, he uses a hammer. So I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's I mean, there's fair. Variety there even. But
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not slashing at all. That's blunt,
0: slashing, at all. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. blunt damage in, yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, we will get into um, uh, what goes down in this film, and then at the end, we'll talk a little bit about um, just kind of the themes that I like to explore with Halloween because, again, this is one I watch Halloween. I try to watch it every year and I've probably watched it upwards of 20 or 25 times now because I also I'll watch Halloween as like a comfort film as well (laughs) outside of it being Halloween season so i watched it a ton of times by now um so we'll get into all of that for sure but um yeah I do want to talk about the opening scene because um, it probably has one of my favorite opening scenes in all of horror films, because it does so much and so many interesting things with like, not a whole, whole lot of complexity. I mean, the um, introduction scene is is very simple, as far as a lot of horror films go. Um, um, Josh, would you like to talk us through uh, what happens as, as Halloween starts?
1: Yeah, so uh, we're we seeing, we got a point of view character um, that at the time we don't know who it is, yeah. um, but we realize something's wrong pretty quickly. Um, that probably has something to do with the fact that uh, we see our point of view character uh, grasp a, a butcher knife. Mm-hmm. And that probably clues us into the fact that uh, something bad is about to happen. Um, but like there is this like weird thing where he's looking at uh, he's looking at his sister as she's making out this boy. Um, this boy uh, decides to uh, I mean I guess they you know, I, I guess they hook up or whatever the boy leaves. Um, and we watch our point of view character slowly walk up to uh, his sister's room and as she is uh, brushing her hair in the mirror. Uh, and I guess it's probably relevant to maybe our discussion, or maybe, I don't know if it's a discussion you want to have or not, but, um, you know, of course, one of the big discussions in this thing is the, and I can't heavy quote this enough, the psychosexual terror of Michael Myers, uh, mm-hmm. but, like, but there—that that is a thing that just <laughs> happened at the beginning. Uh, you know, she, she is topless. He does uh, stab her. I did look it up because I was like, what is making those sounds. Do you know how they made those sounds, Al?
0: Um, I do not. I'm going to assume a hot dog was involved. In it's some
1: literally, literally a watermelon. They stabbed the watermelon? a watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Which is because it's like, it doesn't, because like, what, what's genius about that, I, I'm getting a little off track, what's genius about that is, is it doesn't sound human, but it does sound blunt enough. The point of it, of course, is to get that, that thud in there, as mm-hmm. opposed to, hearing like you know more of like a flesh sound you want to hear that thud and so like they just used a water belt which I just I just I, I, I cracked out loud what uh, crack, cracked up uh, when I saw that uh, but anyway uh, she gets stabbed and then like I think my favorite part of this my favorite scene here um, because there's like so many of these scenes that are like tableaus almost um, where it's almost like they're what I mean by that is like they're almost like uh just like uh pictures like they're, they're they're almost like polaroids that have been taken he walks outside and then like you know the the car pulls over the parents and his mask is taken off and you see him just staring off in the distance holding the knife and like it just it just it's a pause as it pulls out um just almost like a perfect like you know just like polaroid moment of horror as it pulls out, you see the bloody knife. Uh, you see him just staring off in the distance, kind of of a blank face, no clue. Like you, you have you have no motive. You're given no motive. You're given no reasoning. He ge- he's giving you no reasoning. The parents have no concept of what's happened here. Um, and so, you know, that to me is the is probably one of the most powerful scenes in uh, in horror movie history. I think it's one of the best opening scenes. Uh, ever. I think I, I, I put in one that uh, if you made a top 10 best opening scenes, I think it'd be in there. Um, and uh, it's it's it just it sets the perfect tone. Uh, it gives you a mystery that I am going to go to my grave and says does not need to be solved. Rob Zombie. But it does. It does give you that mystery of like why, you know, like you're looking in, you're looking at this boy and you're automatically wondering what's happening here. And of course, that is the question for the entirety of the movie. Uh, you know, what drives this, this this character? It's kind of the crux of the movie, to an extent. Uh, what Loomis is kind of saying, of course, is Loomis is, is basically yelling at the at everybody. Nothing drives him. He just he's just evil. Which, um, of course, is a whole whole other uh, can of worms we can get into. But no, that that first scene, I, I do think, uh, stands as one of the better one of the better opening scenes. Definitely one of the better opening scenes in horror and maybe one of the best opening scenes in in film in general.
0: Oh, yeah. It's... It's... um Yeah, as I said, it does so much with... in such a short amount of time uh, without trying to be fancy or flashy or anything like that. Um, And what it does so well is that right off the bat, it introduces you to... As you said, it introduces you to the concept of this character, right? It it, it shoves you face first into who this character is and what the story is going to be about, and kind of what the tone is going to be. Um, and like it, <laughs> and to skip ahead just a little bit in what happens in the film, um, on this last time. Of, of watching Halloween, I was struck by um, the comparison between the introductory scene and then the scene where the, like, the, the custodian of the graveyard, I assume that's what he is, <coughs> the custodian of the cemetery, um, is talking um, to Dr. Umis as they go to find um, Judith's grave. And the custodian is just kind of like, well, you know, this kind of thing, it happens in every town. And then he yeah. goes on to talk about. <laughs> he goes on to talk about his example, and he's just like, you know, this one guy. He he decided one night he he kissed his wife and kids, and he took a hacksaw, and then he gets interrupted by all that, but <laughs> to find that the grave's gone. But um, that scene really struck me on this viewing of Halloween because it struck me because um, first off this Grave Tender um, is completely (laughs) full of shit (laughs) because this does not happen in every town and even the example he picks to kind of compare it to like um, I have like talked about our backgrounds at the beginning of the show I do have a couple of degrees in psychology. Um, you do not need a graduate degree in psychology to be able to tell that there is a stark difference between a grown man who is what um, True Crime uh, has dubbed a family and iron hater, which I assume is where that story was going, on <laughs> the grown man who kills this woman. There's a stark difference between that happening and. ...from zero... ...parent... ...travelation... 6 year old child... ...and his sister. Uh, Like... ...there's not really a comparison there. (laughs) Because, like, they're both... ...obviously tragedies, they're both obviously very, very... ...horrific and terrible and dark. But with what happens with what we see in the beginning of Halloween is so off-putting and disturbing and scary because John Carpenter fully embraces this idea of this corruption is that like and this scene starts with a first person point of view which is something a lot of horror films after this kind of adopted um in this first person point of view Uh, we see this guy kind of watching things through windows and giving like a peeping Tom kind of vibe, which, um, at the time would be, um, I think John Carpenter was really intelligent about that because at the time, um, these 70s were kind of the heyday of serial killers in the United States and this whole idea of watching people through their windows and being toms and being like, kind of like on the outside looking into a person's home before you attack them um, that was very much in the zeitgeist of the time about how like hey this is what evil dangerous people do all the time uh, to have that kind of flipped on us and just be like oh no this is actually a child who did this um, and as you said the utter lack of motivation, or reason why goes so far to doing so much for that introductory scene and just being like, yeah, that's all you go for now. Um, and that's all you'll get for a long time. You're going to just have to sit for the rest of the movie wondering yeah. why why this is what you kind of were introduced with um, in this story. Um, and So again, he does um, John Carpenter is very good at horror, and a big reason why he's so good at horror is that he's very good at understanding where society is at with things they find scary. And so, one thing you'll see, especially in Halloween, um, um, you'll see a lot of the kind of um, at the time cultural significance of these ideas of. Arab-landic. Killer in small town America, and um, the killings themselves being very, very slow and very intimate. Uh, And like he kind of focuses in on that being a very real fear for a lot of people at the time. Uh, And that's why I think that introductory scene is so effective at what it does, especially back on his And that was
1: so much in the mind of people who watched it. Um, uh, real, real quick, I do. I do. <laughs> since you brought him up, I want to do with the graveyard guy real quick. Oh, uh, for sure. Re- really quickly, because to, you, to just just to piggyback on your point about understanding the the time uh, or, or or how things or how things were uh, at that at that point. Um, I, I, as the old guy of the Phantom Correspondence, okay. As the as the old guard and the grumpy old man of this group, Um, I can tell you that this is something that doesn't really happen as much anymore. If it does, um, it's it's not as prevalent. But growing up, we had and we heard all of these old wives or fairy tales of these people that would just lose it and kill people or kill their families all the time. And this is something that, like, 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 like my, my my mom and dad grew up in Whitesville, Kentucky, which is like the most podunk you know town in the world. okay I mean I'm not, nothing against Whitesville, but it is. It's just like a little farming community, you know 10,000 people, less than 10,000 people. They had stories like this. And to your point of it just being full of crap, there is no Billy Boyles, okay like they, he, he doesn't exist, okay But that's something that got to him from a person from a person from a person from a person. You know, and that's how, that's how I took that scene. It's one of the reasons why Loomis just brushes it off. It's like, okay, yeah, but this is a real thing. Not not some random tale that you guys tell each other, you know. Because the, the real horror of that scene, and one of the brilliant part of that scene is, is the flippancy that that guy has with that story. Because Al, it, it, we, in, in Owensboro, which is a 60,000 person town, you know like the general idea of someone killing their entire family should shake people up and then of course what would happen is we'd think about it for about 2 weeks and then it would become a tell that we would tell our kids that kind of thing and there's a certain horror to that as well mm-hmm. um and, and and that gets that gets back at your concept of the of the 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 destruction of the innocence and kind of thing is there is a sense of like you know uh something I do want to bring up later is, is the suburbs and all this and all that stuff but like there's a sense of like, you know, we we shield ourselves from horror by just being flipping about it, and not really caring about, it and just turning it into something that we'll discuss over the water cooler, and that that's what struck me about that scene because I went once again. It's weird because it was a scene that I had not noticed. You know, what I mean, because the, the point of that scene is, you know, Judas Headstone's gone. What happened to Judas Headstone? And like, and to me, you know, the point of that scene is that and i'd always just see it as that but that little 45 seconds or really like you know minute and a half of him having that discussion it's it, it, once again it gets back to what uh, carpenter is doing here is so brilliant in that it adds so much to just the story of like oh yes we all have our boogeyman but this is the real boogeyman that's here uh Also, real quick aside, I love the fact that he sees a, what, a 500-pound headstone moved, and he's like, stupid kids, like what, like, like (laughs) a bunch of, like, teenagers are gonna go out and be like, I'm gonna move this 500-pound headstone for no reason, but I, 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 that that makes me laugh every time, you know, like, I don't know what kids he's been dealing with, um, but it's very hard to move 500 pounds of rock, uh, just, (laughs) just, just for the record out there, but anyway, I'm sorry, I, I wanted to just put, put that out there. No, no,
0: it's fine, um, and to go even, even beyond what you said um, about about that caretaker is like the way he says it. Like he doesn't just say, "Oh, these these darned kids stealing the headstones." He he says it in like such a desperate way of why do they do this? Yeah, exactly, yeah. have stolen the headstones from his graveyard store. Yeah, shore?
1: yeah. I, I hear. I mean, here's in, in all honesty. In all honesty. If there has been a rash of graveyard headstone, you know, thieves, I would want to look into that because I'd be like, we have a bunch of weirdos that apparently can bench press 450 pounds running around grabbing these headstones. We might want to look into that because that could be dangerous later on. Like, apparently it's something that just happens over and over to him. And I'd be, I, I, you know, I'd probably be looking for another town to live in if that was the case. <laughs> <clears throat>
0: It's that's true. But um, yeah, yeah, man. I hope to be <laughs> I don't know. I hope to I hope to one day be um, um both as wise as Umis is in that scene, but also as um as carefree as the caretaker is as well. Because he's just kinda like, Ah, this kid stole this headstone again exactly like, oh, well, this, yeah. I'll, I'll write it on the inventory expense report for next month yeah. <laughs> but um, um, yeah so we get into um, I do want to talk about um, some of the characters and the performances of the actors in this one because um uh, we get some terrific acting performances in this um, for at the time um somewhat low-budget film in 78. Um, So, um, obviously, we'll talk about the Queen here in a bit. Uh, We'll (laughs) talk about Michael himself at the end because I have um, some very um, specific questions I want to ask about him. But um, let's start off, as we talk about these characters, let's start off talking about uh, the good doctor himself. Because as somebody with... Um, As somebody who has a background in psychology, who has worked at a psychiatric hospital, who has worked um, closely beside psychiatrists and psychologists before, um, Dr. Umis fascinates me as a character. Um, He was actually, when I first watched this film, um, um, again, I was um, an early teenager. I was starting to figure out the kind of things I was really into. Um, I just started getting kind of a passive interest in psychology, and then um, his character was fascinating to me then. Uh, When I first watched him, it was fascinating um, to me now. So, Josh, I'm interested. um, As somebody we've had, um, as friends, we've had um, a couple of really good conversations about um, the idea of evil, the idea of psychology, um, and how those things kind kind of intertwine and cross over a lot. Um, so I want your impressions um, about the good Hoctor t- t- here uh, um, and what you think of his character, what he kind of adds to the story of Halloween. Yeah,
1: so with, <laughs> with, with Loomis, Loomis makes me wonder a lot of things about the uh, about the psychology profession, um, because and maybe you can tell me different. I don't know. Um, you know, and, and may, and, and I'm I'm not presuming to think I know things or presuming to think I know better. Um, but like, is it, is it fairly, <clears throat> is it something to basically look at a patient and be like, yeah, there's no hope for them. Just, just lock them up and keep them away from society. Is that a thing that happens in psychology? I, I, I legitimately do not know enough about psychology to know if there is a too far gone, concept
0: sure sure no no that's a very fair question um it depends on who you talk to It depends on the background um, that people have um but um from having worked in a psychiatric hospital uh, before um i won't say which one because i don't know if i'd get in trouble for that but um <laughs> uh, but uh, having worked in a psych hospital before having worked with a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists before um you will find psychiatrists who will work with some of the most sad t- desperate cases um, um until they die with like all the hope and optimism that they can find Um, um, that being said there are certain cases and certain illnesses and disorders that are treated differently um, by some doctors um, than others Um, and um, by treated I mean both in ideology as well as approach Um, it'll Tandra there but um and what I mean is that um, so when it comes to ideas of evil and being evil to the point of of being a lost cause um the disorder that comes to mind is psychopathy now psychopathy technically is kind of an outdated term um, it's referred to as anti- Social personality disorder now um, that is commonly accepted a, as a really bad move uh, because ASPD does not capture the same kind of things that are going on with psychopathy. Um, it's kind of tra- it's kind of like trying to, um, um, t- to bring apples into like the wide variety of oranges. It, it doesn't like it's kind of it can be compared, but it really isn't the same thing. And when it comes to psychopathy. Um, The very nature and origin of the disorder is so complicated and so resistant to change in therapy, um, by any means, that once that um, diagnosis kind of comes down, there is definitely kind of a skepticism towards those patients and those individuals. Um, as far as, you know, I don't know how much we're going to uh, be able to help uh, on this person. Uh, because these types of people in the history of Psych haven't ever been helped um, before. Um, so that does happen. Now, if you're asking me, does it usually go to the extent um, of Umis where he's like, always strapped and, like, (laughs) can't go a single conversation without talking about the, um, the and inevitability of the void. Um, I don't think that happens as often, but, um, uh, there is that kind of
1: general skepticism with that area of psych, I will say that, yeah. Well, because it's interesting, because, you know, like, for, you know, Don, I love, I love Donald Pleasance in this movie. I really do. I mean, he's, he's fantastic in this, but he's fantastic in the second one. I think those mm-hmm. the only two he's in, I believe. <clears throat> um, but you know, he's, and, and, and he's, he's really in a role where he doesn't have to give it his all because a pretty kind of standard, just, you know, he, he's, he's really the straight man in this. Um, he adds a lot of character to it and just his frantic kind of nature of like, you guys do not understand what you are dealing with. Okay. None of you, no, no one understands except for me, <clears throat> but like, I will say, you know, from an acting perspective. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and and I know that's, that's kind of where you want me to, to go with that, but I'm going to disappoint you again. Uh, Cause because the character the character and the concept he brings up, if, if we're going to have a conversation on the nature of evil and things like that, what do you think you have to if Halloween, if you're going to do a deep dive on it, the concept he brings up here is really bothersome from a religious standpoint, right? Because religion has this, this, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not even speaking really as a Christian here. I'm speaking religion as a whole, mm. um, from top to bottom. Uh, from every concept you know unless some some of your more strange cults but like the religion that you would take seriously um, in this world every single one of them the concept is essentially there is a higher power this higher power wants you to do the right thing and the the idea that there is something in this world that not only would have no conception of the higher power, but would have no conception of how to do the right thing. I think it's very troublesome from a spiritual standpoint. I always think about, there's an old, old movie, Al. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's called The Bad Seed. And I think they they, they kind of base The Good Son off of it a little bit, but it, The Good Son's really bad, I think. Bad Seed's really good. <laughs> it's a 1950s movie. And essentially in The Bad Seed, they, they cast this, like, just you know, like, horrible little blonde girl in pigtails to be this murderer, essentially. And, like, but, like, it's it, it's it's framed in such a way that it's close to being as realistic as a 50s horror movie could be. Um, but I, I do remember just the concept, like, of them talking about, you know, this idea of, when I first saw it, I was probably like 10 or 11, one sort of those, like, AMC, 9 o'clock movies that, like, I stayed up late to watch, I probably shouldn't have. But, like, the concept of, at the end of that movie, they basically just come to the conclusion, I, there's nothing to do for her. You know, she's just horrible. There's no reason for her to be horrible. She just is. And that concept as a as a young Christian, as so you know, that does not work with the concepts of, you know, salvation and things like that. You know, and it doesn't work in spirituality at all. And so I do think that's part of the conversations being had here with Carpenter. Um, You know, not not to try and uh, do an auteur study of Carpenter, but Carpenter's very much wanting to, even later on with, like, The Thing, and even a little bit in his his Aliens movie, he's very much wanting to take what you know and turn it on its head. So with The Thing, of course, it's very much of, like, uh, you know, like, you never know who your friend is. Even at the end of that movie, you don't know who your friend is. With Aliens, of course, he's dealing with the motherhood thing. And how it's beautiful, but also horrifying if you're an alien. So, like, you know, he, he's taking things and turning them on their head. I do wonder if there's a sense here in Halloween where he's taking that moral concept and being like, you know, because could all of us, I mean, to your point, this is 1978. So we are turning around. We're making a turn out of Vietnam here. And we're really turning towards this very moral majority thing. With Jimmy Carter kind of started it, it's going to really crest with Reagan. It's going to really crest with the evangelical moment of the 80s. It's really starting to hit. And at the same time, you've got Carpenter being like, listen, there's evil out here. You just can't understand. And the best thing you can do is either A, lock it up or kill it and move away from it. Um, And that really, that really that really challenges um if if you're a spiritualist that really challenges you um and that's what loomis's character is doing loomis at this in my opinion loomis is a straight up like you know as atheistic as a character as you can get at this point there's nothing this guy believes in except we need to put this guy down and he's frantic about it um this is evil this is horrifying you know i've looked in his dead eyes for years and years and years You know we need to make sure he gets locked up we need to give him enough thorazine whatever that is to make sure he can't stand even at the trial you know and we need to put him away forever and just be done with it okay because that is and that is that that just doesn't jive with with a lot of with what i would call spiritualist people um you know that is a very um challenging notion for that person to have if, that, if if all that makes sense. Uh, but to get around to your point, Donald Pleasant's great in the role, yes.
0: He's incredible, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but, um, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. I think you um you bring up a lot of great points. Um it, it's it's very interesting that you bring up um and that you said um that you in this film is about as atheistic as uh, as an individual can get uh, because now when I watch Halloween um, and owing what I know about the person that who is supposed to be right. Um, J- Josh, it's, it's pretty tough to become a psychiatrist. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's pretty, yeah. It's it's pretty. as far as the work and time mm-hmm. that needs to be invested into becoming a psychiatrist is probably the most ending career path that a person can choose, right? because you have to do have to do your college time. when you're in college, you usually have to choose one to two really t- t- difficult programs in which t- to get your bachelor degrees. Um, from there, uh, hopefully you, hopefully from there, you get in a medical school. If you don't, because um, medical school is very competitive as well, then often you have to do a master's degree, either in biology or possibly in clinical psych or something like that. From there, you go to medical school, you have to do... F- Four years of your medical school, which is very competitive, it's very intensive. Um, You have to do all your rotations. After medical school, you have to do your residency. Uh, The residency programs for psychiatry um, often take um, one to three years longer than other specialties as a doctor because it covers, like, you have to know your biological stuff as well as your Psychological stuff. Um, it it it's an investment to become <laughs> a psychiatrist. Yeah. So I think of where t- t- Doctor Umiz is in his career, right? Because he became Michael's psychiatrist um, fifteen years before the events of of the present day story of Halloween. Um, and like, at that point, as a psychiatrist, you kind of hope that like, you know, you've had like some publications and like some research journals, you kind of hope that like you've authored like a textbook or two, you kind of hope that like you've like presented at academic conferences and stuff and you have like a sizable caseload. Of, of case studies that you can publish uh, um, after so much time has passed of uh, therapy with a the patient. Um, you have to be like pretty accomplished at that point, or, or at least you hope to be. And the fact that by the time we meet Umis in Halloween, this person who has had to have devoted his life to the scientific study of human thought and behavior by the time we see him, he's just like, that isn't even a human anymore. <laughs> I, refer, I refuse to refer to him as a him. That's just yeah. that's just a horrible monster from yeah. hell. And if I could kill him myself, I would. Right. Like, the journey you have to take to get there is yeah. <laughs> yeah. incredible. Um, and yet that's where he is. And so when I think of Umis and the personal history that I have to create for him in order to understand him as who he is, um, I almost have kind of an inverse reaction to him as you do. I kind of think of him as a person who devoted himself to science and biology and psychology and academia and has had kind of a kind of a reverse come to Jesus experience with this man who was just like, who was just like, I don't know, like if God exists, but Satan a hundred percent does. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I met him as a six year old boy and, and he's free tonight. <laughs> and That's just kind of the experience um, I have with that character because that's, I mean, that's a hell of a turnaround, Um, and again it speaks to how convinced he is and how how in your face he is with all the characters about how like no you don't understand you haven't put in the time with him that i have Um, and it's impossible for you to really appreciate what this person is Um, no no as i've gotten older and as i've gone through schooling and um, and career and stuff like that it's just really impressed upon me even more just like how how far off the deep end, um this character would really be considered um, especially in
1: today's um standards as well yeah i i and and i think you know to to get back to to um to where to, to your original question which was to talk about the acting (laughs) (laughs) Um, wasn't does a fantastic job of just modeling all of that. Um, The, I think the, the best, the best part of it, of course, is when he looks down and he sees that Michael's not there after he's shot him six times. And uh, he looks down, he's not there anymore. And he like, at first he's shocked. And then there's just kind of this look on his face. Like, you know, that makes sense. You know, just like, yeah, sure, you know, yeah, you know, just that just is kind of how it goes, you know. Um, But yeah, I I, I, I think you're I, I think in a sense there's a chance that we're both right. You know, in the sense of, because there is, you're right. There's a sense of like, he, you're right. He's not just turning against morality. He's just like, yeah, medicine doesn't work either. You know, science has no concept of what this is. You know, none of your con, you know, I don't, I don't care what you say. You don't understand, you know, it's just this, it's, it's almost like Mike, Michael Myers is the ultimate anomaly. You know, he just kind of like this thing that exists apart from everything else. Uh, that's how he views him. Um, which I do think is an interesting way to write him. Um, but I, I think we'll probably, we'll probably get in that later, I'm assuming. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Nice.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Um, now, we cannot talk about Halloween without talking about the, um, the, the queen of horror herself and the just flawless, flawless performance um, of Amy Lee Curtis. She's incredible in this. Um, She went on to be incredible in a host of other horror films as well as other genres of films as well. Um, Recently, there for a hot second, Amy Lee had come under a little bit of scrutiny because of some of the remarks she had made about Anna d- 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 Armis and how she kind of, like, uh, um, expected her to be something else because of her background. And she, for a brief second, had come under a little bit of fire about that. Um, and then it died out pretty quickly, and, and I think it's because people realized, like, oh, wait, she's actually t- t- doing the thing that you're supposed to do in that, like, she said that as a way... In the process of like admitting that those thoughts and those assumptions were wrong, <laughs> and she was apologizing for that, and say I will try to do better from now on. Um, I just found that whole thing like hilarious yeah. in a lot of ways because here was this person who was doing what you're supposed to do. Who <laughs> was who was being introspective and just being like, you know what those those assumptions I made about a person uh, was really screwed up and I should not do that. And from now on, I won't like, and, and people were mad at her for that. I thought that was hilarious, but um, it's just like, okay, everybody of, of all the people, this isn't the one we should be targeting right now. But, um, um, no, Josh, I could talk until the cows come home about how incredible she is. Um, not even as an actress, just in general. But um, I could talk to the cows come home about that. But I know where your heart's desire is uh, when truly talking about the cast of this film. So I'm going to c- give you an opportunity here, Josh, and tell me about the cast of young actors and actresses, uh including Amy Lee, um uh, who make up the bulk of this cast and who either unfortunately or otherwise also constitute um the bulk of Heichel's body count as well. Um how do you feel about the young blossoming characters in this kind of story, Josh?
1: So so real quick, real quick, I, I I do want to bring up a little piece of horror fest trivia. Oh, here we go. We haven't done this yet. One of these actresses, we have already seen. If you know your horror fest history, we've already seen in another movie. Al, do you know which one it is? And it's not Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously. Well, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> sure. I wasn't about to go there. Um I'll be out
1: here. I'm not sure, sure, sure who you're talking about here. PJ Souls, who plays Linda in this movie, also plays, name escapes me, but the horrible human being in Carrie. Yeah, yes. horrible human being. And basically gets cast in this movie because John Carpenter was like... I have a role that would be perfect for her. She just has to do basically the exact same thing, which is essentially what she does. Um, You know, she's uh, extremely clueless and stupid and, you know, and, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I I mean, she's just she's just kind of you get the idea that, like, you know, Annie and um, Laurie are are decent and Linda is not, I don't know. And I'm, and I don't know if that's like a morality thing. I, I don't really want to get in that, but like you just kind of get like, she's kind of a jerk, you know? Um, you know, like every, every, you know, like interaction is just kind of stupid with her. Uh, but like, that's her, that's, that's her. I mean, she, she plays the exact, and she does. She, I think she plays exactly the same. I I would be shocked if Carpenter wasn't just like exact same tone of voice, exact same looks, um, and then I found out, I found out by finding that out, because I was like, well, who is this girl? So, this girl was dating Dennis Quaid in 1978, okay? Wow. It, th- by the way, this, this, this has nothing to do with it. I just think this is a hilarious story. Yeah, this girl's dating same. Dennis Quaid in 1978. They go see this movie in theaters. There's that scene where she goes, see anything you like to, m- well, she thinks it's Paul, or is it Bob? Oh. It's Bob. She it's thinks Bob, it's Bob, pa- yeah. Yeah, it's not Paul. Paul's the one Annie's going after. But it's uh, uh, Bob. She thinks it's Bob. It's Michael. She says, see anything you like. And apparently this guy, like a row in front of her, said, absolutely, I do. He just kind of screamed it at the screen. And Dennis Quaid wanted to go confront this guy. And PJ Souls was like, no, nah, it's, it's cool. I think it's kind of funny. So, like... I, I just, what, what a weird story. Like think about that for a second. Like Dennis Quaid was going to go punch out a guy in a theater watching Halloween because his girlfriend was topless in Halloween. And like the guy, I mean, what an amazing story. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Just th- th- these are the things you find when you actually like do research of these things and you find yourself going down these rabbit trails. Um, but I, I just, I'm sorry. That was just a fun story. Exactly. P- That's great. <laughs> but here's what I will say. Okay. We've talked about this a little before. There is something to be said with the concept of we have to make characters annoying so you don't care that they die. You know, right? I mean, I mean, because there's, because like the only character by the end of this movie that you are like, you know, well, there's three. There's only three characters by the end of this movie that you're like, you know, I really hope nothing bad happens. And one's Lori, and then the two little kids, okay? Uh, Lindsay and, is it Danny? Uh, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, that's right. Uh, Lindsay and Tommy. Th- those are those are the only ones you don't care, you know, about, like, everyone else is kind of there just to kind of be the amping up moment. Um, because, you know, like, you got Annie who's like, you know, just – I'm going to drop this kid off on you that I like it, it. It's not even the actresses. It's how they're written. Now, like, let me ask you a question. Okay. Like your entire thing up to this point, Annie's entire character arc up to this point is invested in Annie. Doesn't do enough. She doesn't go out enough. She doesn't, you know, she, she needs to, she doesn't think about sex. That was a thing. And they were talking about in the car. You know, um, she's, you know, she, she's a goody two shoes. She's too good. Uh, she doesn't know how to, to, to smoke marijuana, uh, all these things. Okay. (laughs) I'm, I'm being serious. Like this Annie's entire character arc. And like, it's like this, like, she's like this, like horrible fairy godmother kind of thing where it's like, but I will, I will help you out. I'm going to call the boy you like for you all this thing. Okay. All right. But then the moment, the moment, like she gets the opportunity to be like, to go off, On her own. What does she do? She shirks her responsibilities and gives Lori more responsibility. Which, if, if, Andy, if, if Lori became what you wanted her to be, you wouldn't be able to pull that off. I mean, like, I understand I'm thinking way too much about this character. But, like, but, like, that, that is one of the reasons, you know, there's this, like, there's this entire, um, I know you've heard it. There's this entire discourse. We kind of alluded to it. This entire discourse about, you know, Mike Myers does this because he's scared of sex or whatever, you know, and like, I, I need to say Michael Myers from now on, because Mike Myers did not do this. Michael Myers did it. <laughs> an different movie. But uh,
0: I've seen Austin Powers. That man is not afraid of sex. <laughs> right,
1: right. Michael Myers does this entire thing because he's scared of sex or whatever. Um, I don't really think that's what Carpenter is getting at. Carpenter swears up and down. He's not getting at that. I'm going to take him at his word here, but I do think there's a sense. And this is a sense that goes all the way back to, you know, horror movies, even in the past is that there is this sense of, this is the judgment on you for being a horrible person, because it's a little different than the later Halloween movies. But in this movie, basically everyone that dies with the exception of the dog um, is like, her, is like in my opinion, really bad. Okay, Annie is not a good friend. Um, Linda doesn't seem like a good friend, um, and and Linda and Bob, like, I'm I'm always every time I watch this, I'm like, whose bed are you all in? Because like it's not it's it's not it's not. Um, it looks like the master bedroom, which like, I'm thinking to myself at the in, the entire time watching. It's like when are these parents supposed to come home, and how are you going to fix that bedroom, you know? Like you've just like soiled, you know. So like you, you have you have you have all these concepts there, okay, that are happening of like these people who are really only thinking about themselves, okay. And then here comes Michael Myers to basically, uh, even the ledger, so to speak. Okay. And to me, that is, that's where Carpenter's going with, I'm not saying Carpenter's really saying that, but I am saying like, he's kind of playing on those old roles, because if you go back to psycho, you know, that's the entire reason Marion crane, you know, dies is because he, she has stolen money. Uh, and like, you know, that's, that it's kind of a, there's a sense of like, this is a judgment on you, you know? Um, so like there is, so going all the way back to that, um, you know, and now up to this, I do think there is that concept going on and man, all those actors to your point, man, they go out of their way. I mean, they have got Bob, like Bob's sitting in the car and they're like, and I understand it's 1978. Okay. But I promise you, whoever wrote this line was like, I'm writing this line. So you will not care that this guy's about to get impaled to a wall. He literally makes the statement. Okay. He's like, We'll rip off Linda's clothes, rip off my clothes, and we'll rip off Lindsay's clothes. And then Linda's like, yeah, sure, whatever, okay? Okay, Lindsay, for for reference, is the seven-year-old girl that she's babysitting, so to speak. So, like, like I understand, like, that's kind of a joke and just he's kind of being stupid, but still, like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, I was like, who said that? Like, I understand I it's 1978, but I'm being honest, like, I cannot think of any 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 woman that I know that if you said it to him would just be like, hold on, what what did you say again? Like, <laughs> you know, and then it's, so you know you, you you watch that happen, you know. Um, and then you know, the watch him steal beers out of their refrigerator. You know, which, in my opinion, you still stuff out a refrigerator without asking—that's a cardinal sin. Um, you know, you watch him do that. He messes around the kitchen, and then he just gets impelled to the wall. Like everything he does, in my opinion, is leading up to this concept of you will not care when he gets impelled to the wall. You'll be like, you, you, you'll, you'll be like, yeah, I, I think that was that, that was a fair and just thing that happened there. Uh, good job, Michael Michael Myers. Um, you know, I understand you're, you're a psycho uh, murderer, and that's horrible, but good job here, you know. Uh, that that does seem to be what, what they're going for in that. Um, but, but it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I do think that is really kind of where John Carpenter's going with this. Um, he is trying to make a dichotomy between Lori, who is the good girl, but not necessarily the good girl, because she doesn't like because she doesn't have sex. I mean, like, I know that's that's a thing that we all like to discuss, but that she is the one that does the right stuff. The ones that don't do the right thing are the ones that end up getting killed. I mean, that goes all the way back to, you know, <laughs> that goes all the way back to fairy tales, uh, grim fairy tales back in the day, right? So I do think he's kind of playing with that just a little bit. Um, yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah,
0: now, um, I don't I'll say, have a couple responses to what you said, and then right. I have a follow-up question as well. Okay, okay. so, herself, and this is something I have noticed over the years of watching Halloween and like showing shh, it to people who haven't seen it before, or like who have seen it a couple times, whatever it might be, um, is that when you went down the list of people who die in Halloween. And he said, all of them, except the dog, are kind of people who deserve to die. Um, I will highlight that the driver of the tow truck who Michael steals the, the s- s- service suit from, as far as we know, has not done anything wrong. He was just, he probably stopped to help him. Like, <laughs> like that was, he probably just fell into a trap. So, I will point out that because I do think it's hilarious that everyone 30 gay.
1: second response to that uh, because my sister's car got towed today and so like if, if that guy I'm just saying if that guy had it was like I'll take the city's bid to tow stuff on behalf of the city so I can tow cars at the you know at their at the most inconvenient or when people are at their worst moment or when or prey on people that are on addictions and things like that then yeah you know that guy I, I, I'm just saying if, if he's one of those maybe maybe that's Part of the judgment there. Maybe car maybe John Carpenter got his car towed and was like, Well, here we go.
0: <laughs> You're probably <laughs> right there. He's probably <laughs> the tow truck driver is is probably he just basically the um equivalent of like the dog catcher in 101 Dalmatians.
1: Right, yeah. Just like <laughs> exactly. wait
0: just camp certain areas to wait to kill a car. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know if that's true or not. We're going to get an entire backstory. You're right. I I, I always leave that out. Um you're, but but okay, here's what I'll say: the 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 murders we see, okay, seems like they all. Well, I mean, well, I don't know if his sister deserves it. I mean, like, I don't. There's no real no, context no. there. But the murders we see of Lori's friend group. How about that? Right, okay, right. I'll make my addendum there. I got
0: you. I got you. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but um, um, no, no, I will say that um. I agree in that there is kind of an obligation um, and we've talked about this when we talked about Heidi uh, the 13th. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about uh, the happening in the woods where um, where the victims do kind of have to have some kind um, or to some extent a kind of likable kind of character to them because again, it's easier to, to watch them get killed. Um, there are, there's a certain, I'm starting to discover that there's a certain fine line, uh, between, um, horror and just like outright tragedy. And one of the things that kind of toe that line and kind of help that help that line stay true is how likeable <laughs> the victims are right if it's a victim who who's a person who like is really positive and really good and just how has like a very likeable kind of um character about them um and they get killed in like a horrific way then that story or at least that part of the story becomes a tragedy right um uh, However, if the victim's an asshole, it's just a horror film. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. And I think there is some intention there to the point, like in films like uh, Cabin in the Woods, where these characters kind of like fill specific archetypes of characters within these stories that like you kind of have come to expect and things like that. Um, now, I will ask you my quick follow-up, Question now, okay. Um, you are in a situation where you are being tracked down by some kind of slasher antagonist. Um, you can choose, it could be Jason, ch- ch- it could be Michael, it could be Hatchet if you want Hatchet. Um, <laughs> who wants Hatchet? Hatchet, hatchet is gonna be one that's like we cover in like in year 12 or something I was, about something to say, I was about gonna to be, be who I'll, I'll <laughs> would pick
1: that okay, I'll can do be
0: whichever it. one you want uh, <laughs> but um, and you are in a room and the killer has found you and you're with two other people and the killer tells you okay um, choose one person for me to kill and I'll leave you alone um, and the two people in the room with you are Bob from Halloween and I forget his name <laughs> I the guy funny. who who wears like the
1: Native American headdress in front yeah. of the thirteenth. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, one are you choosing? I don't know. That that guy was really I, I, I never thought I forget his name, but he is he's he's on nerd level. So you know Bob Bob is is discourteous and you know bad at humor. Um, that guy is the is just like a bad human being <laughs> just from start to finish, and like and I don't understand how those people are friends with him uh, at at any point. Um, so probably him, honestly, um, you know. But yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, but it, it's it's just one of those. You're yeah, it. I, I do think you have a point there, and um, the the idea of of splitting tragedy and horror there, um, because both of those characters. when you watch watch him get killed. It's not like, you might be scared by it, but in the back of your mind, you're like, well, you know, this kind of tracks. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. Um,
0: um, I will say, just to close this point, um, Bob gives a lot of credibility to my claim that, like, a lot of what's going on in Halloween is kind of, like, Fueled by um the general fear of his hero hook killers at the time. um Because it could just be a coincidence, but Bob straight up hooks like
1: every dollar. He does. He's straight. I mean, even the glasses. <laughs> and like, and the thing is, like, I mean, his mugshot was the most famous picture of him, and he's wearing those glasses in the mugshot. So, like, uh, you know I don't know if they I don't know if that was a if, if if that was on purpose but man if it wasn't that's a heck of a coincidence. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's rough. That's rough. Um, now uh, I do want to kind of wind down here. And we um as we close we're going to talk about Michael about um the end of the hour if you will. <laughs> um, and and what he is in this film, but also in a greater sense, what kind of he is within his own franchise within the whole horror industry. Um, and then we're gonna talk about um, the greater Halloween verse, which I thought would be a fun kind of avenue to go down to <laughs> close this out. But um, Michael you've already talked a bit about it um, earlier in this episode but Michael has this history about him right where you don't get a satisfactory answer about who he is or why he does what he does right and that's kind of that's kind of unique about him in that way. Um, In that, you know, you compare Halloween and what we know about the antagonist to all of the other contemporary slashers um, that came out around that time. You know, you compare him to um, Leatherface and Jason and Chucky and Freddy and even like the Scream guys, you compare him to all of these other slashers. And with just about every one of them, you get a good a good amount of information on who they are, right? You get to Friday the 13th, um, even in the first one, it's just like, hey, it isn't even him, it's his mom
1: mm-hmm.
0: here. This is why she is doing it and hypothetically why he would be doing all this. Um, in nightmare on Elm street, you get like, well, this is on um, the story about who Freddy Krueger was and what happened to him. And then in subsequent films you get like, Oh yeah. Well, like sometimes we're going with the idea that that story is true and sometimes we're not and things like that. Um, even in X's Chainsaw, you know, you don't get a rundown of exactly who Heatherface is, but you get a whole lot of context about what's going on in his family to kind of create um, on the person there that we see. You don't really get that at Halloween. Uh, by the end of Halloween, Michael is just as strange and mysterious as he in as he is in that introductory scene right um he hasn't spoken about why he does what he does uh there hasn't been some big reveal about his special ad- entity or or special behavior or anything like that and as more and more films came out we got various versions of of who he is and what kind of forces are at work uh but at its core which I think of as the original Halloween, a little bit of Halloween 2, and then um, the new trilogy or quadrilogy of Halloween films that he's put out. Um, The idea that you don't know is still at the core of who he is. Um, And Josh, I'll just ask you very straight out, is this something that you think is good about his character that adds to him or are you the kind of person who who wishes we had more information
1: so i want to answer this question in kind of a in 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 a typical josh roundabout way
0: Mm, sure
1: and i want to talk about the joker real quick Ooh. okay so in scott snyder's batman run in new 52 which we will which is one of the holy text um there's a, there's a moment in death of the family where you know joker has figured out or joker has snuck into the bat cave you fi- find out he's done that several times and it's like this real mysterious thing like does he know who batman is And there's a moment at the end of it where Batman's finally sick of him. And he says, you think I don't know who you are? And he leans over to whisper something in Joker's ear. And for the first time in the entire Batman run, Joker is scared at what Batman has told him. And he jumps off a ledge. Here's why that is, is because the moment you understand motivation Whatever that person is, or whatever, if, particularly if they're a, if if they're a scary thing, the moment you understand their motivation, they're a little less scary because you understand how they tick, right? So, like, so to your point, like a Friday the 13th, okay? The Friday the 13th mo- motivation for Jason, you know, is is a psychosexual thing because his entire thing is, you know, he died while all these, you know, uh, lecherous counselors were off uh, messing around with each other, okay? and that's how he he died okay and so the entire that's that's the motivation like we know that about him we know that we know he has this weird relationship with his mother uh that goes back to psycho you know psycho we know exactly what motivates norman bates you know even if we don't understand it we know where he, what it is um Friday, uh, uh nightmare on elm street you speak of that we know those motivations Every Scream movie, like, at the end of it, every killer just straight-up monologues at the end and explains their <laughs> motivation. Um, that's
0: Hitchcockian, if you will.
1: Almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they have to, because, I mean, and and that's part of Scream, actually. They have to explain it, because part of Scream is like this uh, worship of killers and, like, this kind of of personality around killers, okay? But one of the things that I've always found interesting about Michael Myers is that and maybe, and you, you, you tell me if if I'm wrong on this. We never speak of this character the same way we speak of Freddy Krueger, Jason, Ghostface, you know, um, Hatchet. <laughs> you brought up, you know, <clears throat> we don't speak of this character the same way. Um, As we do there, because those are characters that like we can kind of grasp on to, you know, there's even like, you know, like uh, to the point where like they became like in the 90s, uh, Jason and Freddie both became like these kind of cool, like hip things um, that like, you know, they could they could, you know, they could show up and like, you know, at the MTV Music Awards and give out a moon man or something like that, because they're they're not they're not as scary anymore, because we go into all those movies understanding who they are, what they are and their motivations from beginning to end. Okay. It was my major issue with the the circle back around with the Joker my major issue with the Joker movie is that the moment you understand who he is and why he does it, he's no longer the Joker. He's no longer what he's supposed to be. Circling back around to Rob Zombie. The moment you try to give a backstory to this character He's no longer what Loomis is scared of, mm. because Loomis, Loomis's fear comes from the fact, to your point, how long has he been in school? You know, th- this is a guy who's in his late fifties, early sixties. He has spent at this point close to forty years in his field, and he comes across this, and this is like, I have no explanation for this. That's what the character is. So the moment you add backstory to it, it it, it really like, you know, it, we, we, we don't talk enough about how horrific the Halloween remakes were and like how they really crapped all over this movie. Because because what they did was they took the concept here, which is like a basic, which is the most basic concept possible. Evil has come to the town. OK, and expand upon it. And instead, they were like, "No, he's just a nurse slasher. Yeah, you know, he had he had a bad childhood, you know, you know." And the the idea that evil can come from something so normal and they can attack you in in a place so normal—that's what that movie's all about. And the moment you add a backstory to it, Al, I think, I think you, I think you ruin the character, you know. It, 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 it's a it's it's a char- I haven't seen Halloween Ends or whatever. I, I, it's not even out yet, is it?
0: No, no, Ends isn't out now.
1: Okay. But, like, I will be really, really disappointed. I will be extremely disappointed if they like, mm-hmm. you know, give him a backstory because he doesn't need one. he's never needed one. and the the lack of the backstory is kind of the backstory, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of how I look at it, you know, because he is this this force of of evil, this force that, you know that 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 not only like, <laughs> once again, that not only kills people but makes incredibly intelligent people, whose entire job is to understand these things, go like, "No, nah, we just need to kill him. We just need to just need to kill him. Just that that'd be the best, the best thing possible to happen would be if he no longer existed." Um, yeah, that that to me is 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 where the fear lies, and the moment you you try and create motivation or create a backstory or give him like some villain origin i mean I, I just think it's a clear misunderstanding of what the character is yeah um
0: yeah i agree um uh i'm glad that you were the one um, to bring up the rob zombie remakes
1: um i didn't want to be i bring um. up time. Um, <laughs> Like they're just like I mean it it they're so bad Al they're just so I mean I mean I'll tell you what the the moment you're like hey let's do the Robs Zombie me Halloween Ricks Well, the movie I'll be will be the moment I'll be like you know what you got horror fest on your own this time okay like I, I won't I will not do it again.
0: <laughs> It'll just be me in a room alone, just yeah. just talking to myself for hours.
1: And then in this twenty-minute scene, they talked about having sex with chickens. You know, and you'll be like, "What does this have to do with Halloween?" You are like, "Nothing," but it's Rob Zombie, you know.
0: <laughs> um, but I agree. I think, I think that the fact that, um. He is who he is and the character as you said um, s- still demands the kind of seriousness we've come to take him with at least in comparison to a lot of the other um, slasher characters out there. It's to the point where you know um, these other slasher franchises um, they've had their attempts at coming back. Um, there have been um, long running s- Equals, there's been remakes There's been all of these Attempts to bring back um, These characters who are very iconic In their own right, there's no way To take that status away from them whatsoever um, You know Jason Voorhees is still One of the names Known in horror But um, But they've made their attempts to bring these characters back and those attempts have failed Um, meanwhile we are getting the third brand new Halloween film in four years in October Mm -hmm. Um, and you know the Halloween franchise has definitely hit its speed bumps and its obstacles for sure but the character does continue to come back, and I think, um, I think you're right on it uh, when you say that you know his lack of origin is who the character is. is. That there's no way to understand that character that strips down the horror aspect of who he is. Um, when I th- think about that concept, uh, my mind always goes back. To hp lovecraft a big reason of why lovecraft's early stuff was so successful and considered so scary and horrifying is that he wrote about things that like had no reasoning behind them um, he didn't offer any explanations he just wrote about things that were horrifying to the point that often they were beyond what he could even describe um and I know in ways that's it's kind of a hop out way to, to to get away with the story um in that sense that's why his <laughs> that's why his status and his his quality of writing kind of started t- t- to decline when he began to um, write all of his stuff about like squids and t- t- tentacles and things like that but um <laughs> that being said um I think you're exactly right when you say that w- w- that when we don't understand something, it's far more scarier that way. Um, and the fact that, that John Carpenter, especially with the new films that he's releasing, continues to refuse to offer any explanation of what's really going on with his character, I think that adds a lot to why this franchise has survived and um, in a lot of ways thrived um, for so long is because we don't get this satisfaction there. And, what, um, and one more thing that I realized on, on the most recent viewing of Halloween is the ending struck me in a new way. Um, because the last few years with my wife I've been going through a lot of the other horror franchises and rewatching a lot of stuff. So I've rewatched a lot of the introductory films of, of these slasher icons. And I compare it, I compare the ending of Halloween to the ending of Texas Chainsaw. Because with the ending of Texas Chainsaw, we see Sally gets chased out to the road. Um, sh- she, <laughs> sh- she makes that day just the the most horrific, traumatizing day that that truck driver's ever experienced. Uh, (laughs) Because he stops to help her and here comes Heatherface out of the woods with the chainsaw in hand. Um, But she climbs into the truck. um, She and the truck driver drive away and she escapes. And Heatherface is still there. Like, there wasn't at any point Heatherface was like, stopped or defeated in any way he's still there he's still out on the road he does his iconic little swing of the chainsaw to kind of show just like the utter chaos of his horror but there's a sense of satisfaction with that and that okay ali got away and we see where the bad guy is at like we're able to just be like okay there he is he's going to go back to his weird family and he'll probably continue to do awful things but at least we know where everybody stands at the end it. the chainsaw. at the end of halloween there is no sense of closure or satisfaction whatsoever uh, michael gets shot he falls out of the window and he is gone and is not okay. She's just as traumatized as Allie was. Um, Umis is not okay because as we talked about before, he just had like his most horrific fears about whom Michael is confirmed. Um, and Michael, the bad guy of this film, is just gone. So we get no closure and no satisfaction whatsoever. And I think that's why Halloween has stood the test of time because the opening and the ending hinge on the fact that you as a viewer at no point has any idea what's really going on. Uh, You are surprised and terrified at the beginning and at the end you are disappointed and terrified. Because there is zero closure. And that just kind of focuses in on what makes Halloween and this character so popular and allows them to last for so long.
1: Yeah, I, I do think um I, I I agree with you on the ending. Of course, and we haven't brought this movie up at all. Um, but I mean there's a lot here um that is very reminiscent of Black Christmas in seventy four. and um but but what i think what i think this movie does because black Christmas also same really really very similar ending only with the discovery of another body (laughs) but but like a very similar ending and like we don't know what happened we don't know why it happened we don't even know you don't even ever see the killer in black christmas um so like I do think one of the strengths that Halloween has a little bit over that movie is like, there's almost a sense of like, Oh, here's the killer, but it's, it's not any more comforting. Congratulations. You can see him, but it's, you know, who he is, but there's no comfort to that. And yeah, he's gotten away and yeah. And what are you going to do? The boogeyman's real. It really is the boogeyman, you know? Um, And you know, and that's the you know, of course, that's the famous line. Loomis is like, yeah, he is the boogeyman. Um, yeah. So I, I, no, I totally agree. I think, I think that ending really works uh, for the movie. Um, it almost makes me wonder how they end Halloween ends because all the good ones end that way, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. H two O kind of like has the. (laughs) <laughs> i just realized I, I counted h2o as a good one i'm not i didn't mean to do that but h2o has you know her cutting his head off and then of course they retcon that into she actually cut off the i think it was the cop's head or something like that so uh you know but like they all end with like him getting away because he is the boogeyman i i do wonder you know if halloween's actually going to end how does it end you know um that that'll be interesting to me. I'll be. Also, that's the memory is I watch that movie. Quite frankly, you know, I think that I think the the remakes have been really good. I know the second one got in a little trouble because people said it was a little too woke. But I do want to point something out real quick, Al. You know, the second one has that whole uh, concept of this. Spoiler alert for a year old movie. But the second one has that whole concept of like, you know, they become like a mob mentality and they start uh, attacking mentally ill people kind of thing. Do you know, do you, here's the, here's the genius of that though. Loomis warned the officer Bracken of that very thing. Do you remember that in this movie? Yeah. Loomis says to him, officer Bracken goes, well, I'll just tell everybody. And Loomis goes, no, they'll see him on every corner. Then, you know, yeah. don't do that. I don't want to cause hysteria. Yeah. Which I think, like, so, like, you know, when, when that, when that movie came out, that didn't, that, that concept didn't bother me anyway, but, like, I I do, I, I do wonder, I'd like to ask that director if he, like, just took, you know, a, a throwaway line and was like, I'm going to build a significant plot point out of it, because that, that's part of it, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I, I saw that was interesting, I don't know, uh, I, I don't want, I don't want, I know you're trying to wind down, I want to start something new, but I did, I did find that interesting about, I, I hadn't noticed that until this recent, you know, uh, wa- uh, recent uh, rewatch of Halloween. You know, Loomis is like, "Hey, you know, like, because I mean that that is what would happen. I mean, that's the hysteria. There's mm-hmm. a kid the loose. You know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, the hysteria of that. Um, I, I I don't know. I I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. Here we are um, entirely right about that. Um, that scene is one of the things that, like, also I point to, um, again, as an instance of Carpenter really being aware of, like, these serial killer threat um, and fear at the time um, and kind of awning a lot about this. Because even now, even today, if there's a... If there's even a suspicion of a serial killer being active in an area, um, one of the main guidelines is to not tell the press and to not use the phrase serial killer because as soon as you do, all kinds of false reports come in, all kinds of like public hysteria happen and so, yeah, that's just um, another instance of of the writing in the franchise being very, very true to real life um, in that way and in those details for sure. Um, now, I do want to, to come to a close here. This has turned into one of our longer episodes, which... I feel like it always happens with Horror Fest because we have a lot of <laughs> ideas and opinions that we like to share. So um, I do want to thank everybody for hanging out with us for so long if you've made it this far. But Halloween, I feel like you can't talk about Halloween anymore without talking about the greater Halloween universe that has come to form. So we've already talked about, you know, this new trilogy of films uh, that John Carpenter has done. He has endorsed um, the, uh, the continuous story of Halloween, Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. He has endorsed the story those four films tell as like as, like, the story he wants Halloween to be. Um, so, like, everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. We don't have to think about, like, H2O. We don't have to think about, like, the weird Curse of the Thorns stuff going on in Part 6. Uh, we can skip all of that <laughs> and just kind of embrace that central idea. But there really has been, when you get into Halloween and what, it, and what the franchise has been, um it's been a multiverse um, because you have the various timelines. You have like the original timeline of just Halloween 1, 2, 4, 5, 6. Halloween 3 is kind of its own thing, though there are some horror fans out there who are convinced the events of Halloween 3 are happening in the same timeline as Halloween 1, 2, and 4, and 5, and it's just like its own little Isolated incident happening on its own. Um, those are always interesting people to talk to because, like, it's it's such a <laughs> it's such an inconsequential opinion to have, but they will die on that hill
1: as soon yeah. as you bring it up. It's, it's um, like turn Two Thirty Seven and The Shining, man. It's just. You know. <laughs> um,
0: but um, and then you have, of course, you know, you have the timeline of Halloween One, Two, um, and then Halloween. H2O and Halloween Resurrection. Um, and then you have the Rob Zombie remakes, which we've already talked about, and I promise we won't ever talk about again. And then, <laughs> and then we have, of course, what uh, has become to be called the Carpenter timeline uh, because of his endorsement of the story. Um, and what Halloween has done, um, especially uh, with the story in Halloween c- c- Kills. So kind of a small kind of pseudo spoiler, incoming for Halloween Kills. If you haven't seen that one yet, um, what Halloween Kills does, and what I think John Carpenter is kind of trying to to do with the story there, is that there's this idea in Halloween Kills that I call is only as powerful and as persevering as he is because Haddonfield is so afraid of him, right? There's almost this interpretation of the character, um, this almost like (laughs) Indian kind of topa esque interpretation of the character where he is as strong as the people of Haddonfield believe him to be. Um, and that's a really interesting interpretation of the character. Uh, now, by the end of Halloween Kills, we see that John Carpenter is is a, is a hard ass, and is just like actually, no, that isn't what this is about. Uh, <laughs> but boy, it was a fun thought now, there for a while, now wasn't it? Um, um, but I find that aspect of storytelling to be so interesting. Because in a lot of ways, it kind of reflects on what we've already talked about with the longevity of this franchise, is that, you know, the complexity of the Halloween films is something that comes up when you talk about Halloween to the point that Michael himself has kind of built up a mythology Around himself from these various stories that are being told, these various stories that touch on varying amounts of the supernatural that's being in play um, here and there, um, the varying accounts of his actual whole relationship to Amy Lee's character, um, and things like that. Um, that, you know. You almost come to the conclusion that, whereas, you know, yeah, there's a ton of, I think the 13 films, um, there's a ton of those. And, and there are ones that the community has kind of decided are good and some that are bad. And there are the niche ones that every, that like a small portion of people believe is the best. You know, Hosh <laughs> oh, is a big fan of Jason X. Uh, there's a soft spot in my heart for Jason Hosea Hill.
1: That's not a joke, by the way. Jason X is amazing.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. There's a majority of the fan base who loves Jason X. Um, But it also comes to a point with Halloween where this complexity in this anthology around Halloween has been built up over the course of so many years that you almost can't talk about the franchise in the same way you talk about other horror franchises. Um so Josh, I'm gonna ask you. This is kind of the heady question as a heads up, so kind of a throwback to when we talked about all of the like existential horror of alien when we talked about that one. <laughs> um this is kind of a heady question here. But Josh, I wanna ask you, is there anything to the name of Halloween and to the name of Michael Myers? that kind of invokes anything that isn't hideous, either there or with horror in general? Is there anything to this idea that there's a mythology about this character and about this fear that can be dangerous in a way so that when we get invested in it or when we believe in it, It kind of becomes a very real fear or real horror in and of itself. Um, I guess what I'm asking, is there any truth to kind of the mythology of Halloween that has been kind of accumulated over
1: the years? Is there anything in there to really believe in? Yeah, I think one of the... So we've had this heady question, similar heady question several times over here. And I think one of the things that I think me and you would agree on is the best horror movies the ones that matter are a reflection of society um which i gosh i can't believe i just used the s word there but that's the (laughs) honest trick um i don't i don't have another word to put there but like you we kind of laugh about that now you know you know the the means of get a load of this society and everything you know and we live in a society that kind of thing um and it's, it, it's almost kind of sad that we do because movies like Halloween um, the top-tier horror films um, they are re- they're reflections of of what happened to offend society so when you ask me if like it's insidious um, I mean it is but but the thing the thing that makes it most insidious to me is that it's it's a total... It's, a, it, it's it's a it's a it's a black mirror kind of thing you know where you're where you're seeing yourself in these situations um so like i subscribe to the concept that you know one of the one of the main things carpenter is reacting against here is the the what we would call the great white flight um to the suburbs mm. uh, and and there's a very you know there's a very intense, idea here that happens from the very beginning of this movie where we have taken Michael and we've put him out of the suburbs and he is not there anymore and we're just going to let that happen and we're not going to discuss it we're not going to deal with what happened and we're not going to care about in fact we're going to you know, make, you know, we're going to allow this to become this weird old wives tale thing. So that when we go by the house, you know, Lonnie lamp, who, by the way, also, why didn't Michael just straight up kill that kid when he grabbed him? Like, I mean, you talk about, you know, that, that, that kid breaks that, breaks poor, uh, poor Tommy's pumpkin, you know? And then like you for five seconds, you're like, all right, he's going to get Michael's just going to take care of him right now. And then no, he just lets him go. But anyway, Um, But you you have you have those those moments of like, you know, this this is how we're going to deal with this. We're not going to talk about it. It's out there. okay it's away from our protected community and it's not going to deal with. We're not going to deal with it anymore. And what's the thing Loomis says? You know, the famous line, he came home. And the problem here is that one of the things I think Halloween tells us. Okay. If, if, if we're going to get real deep into the concept of this movie, if we're going to get real meta with it. If we're going to deal with it in an existential way. <laughs> the thing that Halloween tells us is that our problems that we just, you know, cast out that we pretend aren't there anymore. They always come home to roost. They always come back to us. And that is, I mean, that's the major story of Halloween and it's always, you know, you think you've dealt with Michael you know, and he comes back, and he's always there. Um, and I, if if you want a contemporary movie that does a similar thing, I think, although I think me and you have very differing opinions of this movie, *Us* is doing the exact same concept. You know, the things that you thought were hidden, the things you thought you could hide, the the ideas that you thought you could press down. You know, all those, all those, all that guilt you've got that you haven't dealt with. You know, all the all the things you've done. They're always going to come back to haunt you, and so if you're asking me if it's insidious to fear, Michael, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's insidious, I guess, to have a stereotypical view of the mentally ill. But if you're asking me if it's like, if there's a, if there's a, uh, a lesson from Halloween, that to me is the lesson, you know. Um, yeah, you know, don't. <laughs> The, the things we need to fear are the things that we cast out of our mind and that we just feel like we don't need to deal with anymore. And that we're very apathetic to, because that, that to me is like, I mean, I mean, my, Al, like literally, I mean, if, 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 if by, by the way, I know there's going to be people who are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, there goes Josh off on one of his weird tangents. Okay. But literally the way, how does Carpenter shoot this movie when they're driving, to that asylum don't you think you're in the middle of nowhere Mm. i mean isn't that how you see it i mean like like it's it's the point where the nurse is like i don't know where to turn obviously there's rain coming down but the way he shoots it is there's these random fences there's these fields with nothing there okay and then there's an asylum way off okay and that's where we put the problems (laughs) right and those are going to come back and haunt us So, no, so I I think, you know, if, yeah, I I think that's going to be my answer. You know, Uh, you you know, everyone who's listening, this was either A, uh, was either A, waiting for me to give an answer that was way too in-depth and existential, or B, was like, hoping that I wouldn't, but that's going to be my answer there, um, is that, you know, it these things do, if, if you don't deal with these things, and if you ignore them and forget them, they will come back and haunt you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a great answer. Um, I kind an of answers why is why we do this show because you know there a whole lot of opportunities in casual conversation to talk about the the existential um, <laughs> fears and truths within John Carpenter's Halloween, but that's where we are. Um, <laughs> and I, and, you know, I agree. It's worth. You know, it's worth thinking about is worth thinking about, you know, how we treat those that we've shut out, how we treat the things within ourselves that we like to think are gone and helped with, but always have a tendency to come back. Um, you know, I think that's a very, um, a very real thing. Um, but, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting here. Um, uh, at the time of this recording, I'm not sure when um, Jacob's going to actually upload this episode, but um, at the time of this recording, it'll be very interesting in a few weeks to watch Halloween Ends and see um, and see what John Carpenter has in mind as like his version of the ending. Um, because I think that kind of introspective struggle is very true to the story that's being told. So it'll be interesting to see how he ends that. But, um, um but y'all, that will bring us to a close. However, um, I was going to talk about it earlier, but I can't let this episode on Halloween end without sharing probably my personal favorite um, piece of trivia about Halloween. Um, and that is, just real quick, um, the child actor who plays young Michael in the introductory scene of Halloween mm-hmm. um, is played by actor Will Sandin. S- S- Will Sandon. Um, Josh, I don't know if you're aware of this trivia fact. You probably are. I uh, am. <laughs> um, how many? How many other? films has wills hand enacted in,
1: in i believe an answer would be zero
0: I that think answer it's... is zero <laughs> okay. which is my favorite trivia fact about halloween um because again i don't know like first off there's a lot of people who say that you know as a child actor that kid did not have to do a whole lot of on-screen acting um, but honestly like you have not worked in <laughs> Mental health with kids. If you do not think that just that blank thousand yard stare that he has on his face as that introductory scene ends um, is not incredible acting, yeah. because that <laughs> that expression on his face to this day still sends like chills down my spine. <laughs> um, um, but like I don't know, I don't know if John Carpenter like had p- p- paid off his family. To have that kid not be in anything else, or what's going
1: on with that? Oh, <laughs> but, but, you don't know the end of this story? No, no. He 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 decided he had no interest in doing acting after this. Um, I don't know if the events scarred him or what. I haven't heard that. He had no interest in acting. He grew up. He's a police officer. Oh wow. Hmm. Huh. Well. So, so, so maybe, 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 maybe the scenes of just like Halloween, you know, just gave him the heart to, you know, attempt to be a servant uh, to, uh, to this land, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. I don't know. Um, I I personally love that piece of trivia. I I think, I think that's hilarious. That's great, yeah. That the kid that you would be like, you're looking at like, is there actually something wrong with that child? would grow up to be a police officer. I think that's I think that's fantastic.
0: Well, you know what? Perhaps that shows a little bit of light on why his performance was so good. But um, we will we will end, <laughs> we will end <laughs> You said it <our> not <laughs> <laughs> We will end our episode there, however. Um I do love that if you affect because to me that just adds an extra layer of like strangeness and History to that character, right. um, but um, anyway, we will end there. Um, I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us and for bringing in Halloween again this year along with us. We appreciate it. So much fun! I'm so excited. Uh, we've got some great episodes coming up that um, I believe Jacob is going to release like a rough schedule of what we're covering this year. So I will leave that to his announcements, but. Um, I will say, hey, if you enjoy us um, talking at length about the niche interests that we have, um, then I have good news for you, my friends, because right now we have a show. Um, um, I have one that I do with Jacob called the Star Wars EU e- Review, where we talk about Star Wars content. And uh, Josh and Jacob have an excellent show called Brothers with Issues, where they talk about um, the ongoing um, comic book events. Um that are being published right now so um that show is great if you are the kind of person who's really interested in what's going on um with like on the judgment day event that Horvold is doing but you don't want to read 1800 books that is is coming out um, along with that let's event.
1: Let us do it for you
0: well good news josh and jacob are doing that for you <laughs> um so along with that, we've got um, a lot of other shows and projects we do. So be sure to check that out. If you really enjoy what we do, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash the and Correspondence. Give us your support that way. Uh, but either way, whatever you're able to do, even if it's just hanging out with us on the podcast, um, it means the world to us for sure. Um, so, Josh, I appreciate um, you hanging out with me again this year. We've got way more to do as time goes on.
1: I'm uh, looking forward to it, man. I mean, we we got, like I said, so, we got some bangers. We got some fun stuff coming.
0: Yeah, have some heavy hitters this year, so it'll be great. Um, but everybody, uh, have a great day or night or wherever you are. Have a happy Halloween. And please remember that fandom is for everybody, except for Bob and Annie. Yep.
1: Yeah, fair.
0: <laughs> have a good night, y'all.